Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, Governor Murphy expressing a profound sense of grief over the loss and suffering by both Israeli and Palestinian families here in New Jersey. We're now seeing innocent lives lost on all sides of this. So I want to make sure folks know that we're here from them, for, for them. And with the state election just more than a week out, strong words for any threat of a potential red wave. I want to make sure everybody is out there taking this seriously on the edge of their seat. Because again, I think enthusiasm will decide this in a low turnout election. Also, more of our exclusive interview with embattled U.S. Senator Bob Menendez. Was he acting as a foreign agent for Egypt as charged? First of all, this particular charge is outrageous uh, as it is absurd. Plus, feel the burn, as in Senator Bernie Sanders joining 1,700 striking RWJ nurses for a Senate hearing turned pep rally. It is way past time for hospital executives to treat you with the respect and dignity you need. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. Funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association, and by the PSEG Foundation. From NJPBS, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Friday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. Governor Phil Murphy says his office is working around the clock to help New Jerseyans whose loved ones are unaccounted for in Israel and trapped in the Gaza Strip. The tensions from the Israel-Hamas conflict are playing out in Jewish and Palestinian communities throughout the state as the situation grows more dire on the ground. That coordination from the Murphy administration is also playing out amid a statewide legislative election that's just days away, an election some analysts say could bring a red wave, flipping seats Republican after years of a Democratic stronghold. So how's the governor balancing it all? He joins me now to discuss. Governor Murphy, thank you for being with me. I don't have to tell you, New Jersey has uh, one of the largest Jewish uh, populations in America, uh, the largest, I believe, Palestinian Correct. American populations in America, and tensions, obviously, emotions are high. What is your message to those communities? Because we've seen in places like Teaneck and Englewood right. where there have been clashes, um, council meetings that have been shut down, arrests. Yeah. What is your message to folks who are feeling unsupported, um, both uh, Israeli Americans and Palestinian Americans? I'd say that we're here for you. Um, the, the good news is overwhelmingly uh, members of both the Jewish or Israeli specific communities and the Palestinian communities in New Jersey are responsible uh, folks trying to wake up, do the right thing by their families, by their faiths, by their communities, and that's a good place to start. But you cannot underestimate uh, the tension. Uh, Hamas perpetrated a barbaric assault. We have to call that out explicitly and unequivocally um, for the innocent lives lost uh, and killed in Israel. And by the same token, we're now seeing innocent lives lost on all sides of this. So I want to make sure folks know that we're here from them, for, for them. 
particularly as it relates to using our bully pulpit, uh, as well as our security presence, protecting houses of worship, daycare centers, schools, etc. We're spending an enormous amount of time focused on that. College campuses are another hot, hot spot. Yeah. And secondly, just putting my old diplomatic hat on, uh, praying uh, for a peaceful, comprehensive, ultimately that elusive two-state solution uh, where everyone can live peacefully side by side. That cannot in any way, shape, or form include Hamas. Israel has every right to defend itself against Hamas. But let's please hope that cooler heads prevail uh, in New Jersey and elsewhere. Let me ask you about the bully pulpit you mentioned. Are you in coordination with federal authorities? We have, at least as we know, um, one New Jersey American uh, unaccounted for. He's a member of the IDF, uh, Eden yep. Alexander, um, a family from Tenafly, and at least two New Jerseyans uh, who are in Gaza. Correct. Have you been in communication with their families and what's being done in an effort to yep. assist? So if first question is, are we in touch with the feds? Yes largely through our Office of Homeland Security and Protection. So our coordination with the feds is a, is a very good one, and, and I wouldn't trade it for any other state's relationship in America. And yes, we've been in touch with families, um, both Israelis who have missing um, family members or whose lives have been taken, and speaking to those families, and Palestinians who are either in our community or, or trapped in Gaza or or folks in Jersey who have family members trapped in Gaza. And none of it's easy. None of, none of it is easy. One guy, for instance, uh, an intermediary reached out to me and begged me if I could help try to get him out of Gaza. And between getting that outreach and taking any steps, uh, it turns out he wanted to be with his family. I believe it was, it was his mother. Um, so these are heart-wrenching stories. I spoke to someone today, uh, Israeli, whose dad was killed murdered on October 7. War is hell, and how, let's never forget that. How do you begin those conversations? I mean, I, I tell them that they're in our prayers. God bless them. Um, they're, they're not easy, but they're a lot harder for them than they are for me. Um, not your, easy. Yeah, your attention, of course, uh, is often split, uh, as it is as the governor, but we sit here, we're a little over a week out from elections. Um, Republicans that we've spoke to feel very uh, optimistic that they have the winning issues, um, you know, uh, parental rights, uh, budget, affordability, et cetera. Um, should they feel uh, as optimistic about gaining a majority in at least one of the legislative I'm houses? of two minds to answer that. One is I couldn't disagree with them more on the issues. I'll come back to that. But on the other side, this, these will be close elections. This is a low turnout election, no governor, no senator, no members of the House. So Democrats take these elections uh, for granted at their peril. So I want to make sure everybody is out there taking this seriously on the edge of their seat. Because again, I think enthusiasm will decide this in a low turnout election. Yeah. With all due respect to parental rights, parents have always mattered. They do matter. They always will matter. They're, they're making something out of, frankly, uh, I believe that's, that's uh, that's, that's not in their court. Uh, affordability, we've had 20 uh, tax cuts for middle-class families and seniors, especially uh, directed towards seniors. And I'd say thirdly, what's also on the ballot, and I can say this not as speculation, but because Minority Leader Bucco has said it, that abortion and reproductive freedom is also on the ballot. They've said explicitly, if they get the car keys, 
They would defund things like Planned Parenthood, as they did under the Christie administration. I, I had and an they opportunity would restrict to, to speak rights. with him this week about that. Yeah, he's, he's saying that that was mischaracterized, that they wouldn't have the ability to do that, but that they would look at the funding. Um, the fact that mentioned. even look at it, and by the way, the ability means that he doesn't think he's going to win the majority. Uh, the fact of the matter is they've done it. They did it under Governor Christie eight straight years. They zero funded Planned Parenthood. They will do it again if they get majorities. Uh, there were minutes from the Turnpike Authority Commission that you vetoed this week. It was looking at a toll Correct. hike. Some of those same Republicans and critics have called that a pre-election ploy, uh, no. that these minutes that you have a, a full uh, rundown of what's going to be discussed in those meetings and the budget, um, why veto them now? Yeah, frankly, this is the first year that we're back on our feet since I signed that in 2020 through the pandemic. I, I think we owe it to ourselves to look at revenue and traffic, traffic statistics to make sure we still need this. The last thing a commuter or a consumer needs right now with inflation still in our midst, interest rates still high, is another tax or another toll increase. We wanna take that very seriously and that's what, a, that's what we've done. All right, uh, you are back from a pretty big trip to East Asia, nine days. You were in South Korea, uh, Japan, Taiwan, which was initially uh, unannounced for yep. security purposes, your, your team had told us. What's the economic benefit for New Jerseyans who are wondering about the ties? First of all, not one taxpayer dollar goes toward those trips. It's all privately funded. So a taxpayer out there watching this should know that their tax dollars aren't funding the trip. But we behave like they were and that's an important point. There are really sort of three pods to this. We meet with heads of state, in this case, the Prime Minister of Japan and the presidents of both Korea and Taiwan and their foreign ministers. There's a huge higher ed component to this, research collaboration, exchange of faculty and students that's already had a big benefit in New Jersey. And thirdly, and most importantly, it's a huge jobs and investment opportunity for us Jersey plays very well on the international stage. Um, some of the benefits are felt immediately for the Korean community watching. Immediately, your driver's license from Jersey works in Korea and vice versa. That, that was, was a something big that didn't exist until did, this trip. Did not exist till we signed it uh, out in South Korea. Uh, and a couple of academic partnerships. More than a couple. We, we were probably interested had, in with uh, Rutgers, NJIT. You betcha. Princeton, uh, NJIT, Rutgers, Rowan, Montclair State were all on that trip. Uh, Stockton, uh, all signed uh, memoranda of understanding or exchanges. And again, some of the benefits from a trip like that are immediate, literally jobs created within a week or two. Others are in the medium term while we're still in office. And other seeds we've planted probably won't come home to roost until long after we're gone, and that's okay. As long as it's good for Jersey, I'm good with that. Governor Phil Murphy, thank you so much for your time, sir. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Well, Governor Murphy was among the first of Democrats to call for embattled U.S. Senator Bob Menendez to resign following his September indictment on federal corruption charges. Tonight, we continue coverage of our exclusive interview with the senator. Senior political correspondent David Cruz pressed Menendez on his most recent charge, accused of acting as a foreign agent for the Egyptian government in exchange for bribes, all while sitting as chairman of the powerful Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Let's talk about Egypt uh, and the indictment related to your role with the government uh, there. Uh, on the one hand, you had tough rhetoric on Egypt regarding human rights, et cetera. But on the other hand, you greenlighted from your chair on foreign relations arms sales and other considerations in exchange for what prosecutors say was money, 
gold and a Mercedes Benz for your wife. Was this constituent services or acting as an agent of a foreign government? Well, first of all, this particular charge is outrageous uh, as it is absurd. My parents came to this country in, in search of freedom. I have for 50 years in public service been loyal to only one nation, the United States of America. That's what I have given my life's work to and to improve the lives of people in this country and in our state. The reality is it's more than rhetoric that I conducted as it related to Egypt. I stood up to the president of Egypt in the presence of eight other United States senators and challenged him on human rights violations, on political prisoners, on press freedom, on NGOs. Uh, and I've done that twice, previously in the presence of our U.S. ambassador with other staff present. Each time I have done directly face-to-face -to, -face to the president of Egypt what no other member has done as clearly. And the administrations, both Republicans and Democrats, have used both carrots and sticks with um, Egypt as it does with other countries. When it wants to induce that country to act a certain way, it may give it some assistance. When it's that country is doing something wrong, like violating human rights, it may use sticks. Uh, but at the end of the day, the ultimate decision maker as it relates to aid to Egypt or any other country in the world is whatever the administration is. And yes, we have a uh, impact on that, but my impact has been clear and unequivocal uh, and has not inured to the benefit of Egypt when it has not acted correctly. That's that's just so crystal clear. This is among the most outrageous uh, of the, the charges uh, and, and it goes uh, and flies in the face of a long history a long history uh, of opposing human rights violations, rule of law, uh, independent journalists, and others inside of Egypt. So the considerations that Egypt received, including uh, getting a green light from, from your committee, the quid pro quo, as it were, were, was Egypt behaving better in exchange for arms sales and other considerations? Each consideration depended upon the nature of the sale, whether it was, for example, defensive equipment, whether it was equipment for the Sinai, uh, where they are playing a vital role for security with Israel, which everybody, Democrats and Republicans, have called for. Uh, so these followed uh, the, the traditional uses of, of both foreign aid and arms sales in a way to ensure uh, that the U.S. national security interest was pursued. And that's, that, that, that's simply the case. And in the case of one of your co-defendants receiving a contract uh, to certify halal... I can't, I can't answer for my co-defendant. You'll have yeah. to ask him. <laughs> well, I the suggestion is that it was your relations with Egyptian officials that helped ease the way for him to get that contract. Hmm. David, there's a lot of suggestions. As a matter of fact... As I read the indictment, there's a lot of inferences, but not a lot of facts at the end of the day. Those inferences try to play and create a storyline that is the most negative pejorative storyline you can create. 
But when those get challenged by the facts, as we will, in the legal proceedings that both motions and trials will allow us to do, then we will see a totally different story. And you can see the full interview on Chatbox with David Cruz this weekend. Catch it this Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. on NJPBS. The ongoing feud between 1,700 striking nurses and management at RWJ University Hospital intensified today, with Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders jumping in the fray, holding a field hearing of his Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee, calling out the hospital for the strike, now 12 weeks and counting, and for what nurses say are unsafe staffing levels. A spokesperson for RWJ called it, quote, unconscionable, saying Sanders was overtly inserting himself into labor negotiations. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan was there. The event played more like a union pep rally than a Senate committee hearing. Senator Bernie Sanders electrified hundreds of nurses jammed into a Rutgers Music Theater in New Brunswick near ground zero of their 85-day-old strike against RWJ University Hospital. Right away, Sanders made clear whose side he's on. It is way past time for hospital executives to treat you with the respect and dignity you need. Sanders was the only senator at his committee hearing. Hospital executives no-showed, sending written testimony instead, stating they, quote, cannot risk anything taken out of context, concerned it could impact negotiations. Their chairs stayed empty, while a panel of nurses spent 90 deeply emotional minutes talking about why they feel so abused by the system. Too few nurses struggling to care for too many patients. So the anguish you feel, the, the dread, the, the anxiety that this causes every single day. You, you can't turn left without having something you need to do, can't turn right without it, and there's no one to help. We are no longer willing to be compliant to a broken system where management puts profits over patients. These so-called Nonprofit hospitals have more than enough money to invest in their workforce to ensure that we have safe staffing. Sanders asked how the hospital could spend more than $100 million on traveling nurses to stay open during the strike and $17 million on its CEO's annual salary, but won't boost staff-to-patient ratios. Nurses have told me that they are simply unable to provide the quality care they want to provide and the care their patients deserve. And the reason for that is the totally inadequate nurse-patient ratios that they are forced to deal with. In a statement, RWJ Barnabas Health CEO Mark Madigan called Sanders' assertions inaccurate and misleading, adding, RWJUH has safe staffing guidelines in place that are derived from national evidence-based practice by peer academic medical centers. RWJ Barnabas Health underwrites NJ Spotlight News. Hospital negotiators claim that they've made generous salary offers and agreed to give nurses an extra 20 bucks an hour if staffing ratios fall below a set standard. The union members voted to continue the strike. This is a test case in New Jersey, and I think every hospital system is backing 
Barnabas in their actions right now because they are terrified. They know nurses aren't going to take this anymore. The senator wrapped up his hearing. Congressman Frank Pallone, who sat in solidarity with striking nurses, said it shows the U.S. needs federal minimal staffing requirements, but also... The hospital needs to be pushed to, you know, come to an agreement. There need to be face-to-face -face negotiations between the administration, the hospital administration, and the union. And I think that would make a difference. Hospital executives say they think a contract is attainable, quote, in the near future. But no new talks are scheduled. In New Brunswick, I'm Brenda Flanagan and J Spotlight News. In our Spotlight on Business report tonight, as Governor Murphy discussed, he vetoed the 2024 budget approved this week by the New Jersey Turnpike Authority. But toll hikes weren't the only controversial item included in that spending plan. The authority is moving forward with a $10 billion project to widen the turnpike extension to and from the Holland Tunnel, despite outcry from transportation and environmental activists. Ted Goldberg reports. If you've ever thought the New Jersey Turnpike has too many cars, the Turnpike Authority agrees with you, at least for the eight miles around exit 14 and exit 14A. We are at capacity. We, we currently cannot handle the, the lanes we have now do not handle the demand that is out there. A $10 billion proposal to widen the Turnpike along this 10-mile stretch moved one step closer to reality earlier this month when the Turnpike Authority released a draft of an environmental impact statement. The first phase of the project would replace the two-lane Newark Bay Bridge with a new four-lane bridge as part of a plan to accommodate the growing communities in the area. Newark, Bayonne, and Jersey City are thriving, and, you know, their uh, economic successes have, um, have brought in, like, more, more people that want to live in their cities. It's not necessarily one for one, Ted in terms of population growth versus uh, traffic growth, but very much, you know, population employment growth uh, drive traffic growth. Larry Paseski was the task lead on the environmental impact statement. Before we, we launched into doing the analyses, we, we had meetings with New Jersey DEP and other environmental agencies to make sure we were using the, the latest and greatest sort of best practice analytical models. The statement says the massive project won't make air quality notably worse. Pazeski says the project is meant to happen over a long period of time to keep animals safe and traffic flowing during construction. Some of those measures include limiting the, the seasons during which uh, construction will occur um, to avoid uh, uh, those seasons and when really uh, in fishes or, or marine mammals uh, could possibly be in the bay. The construction is being phased so that on the, the turnpike itself, on the extension, uh, the, the existing four lanes of traffic will be maintained throughout construction. The report argues that if the project goes forward, the turnpike will have less dense traffic despite having more cars. But not everyone agrees with these findings. To release a statement that, that uh, assumes that there will be no environmental impact to adding a four lane overpass is ludicrous. It's sort of akin to treating a, a, a uh, obesity by loosening your belt. John Richmond is on the steering committee for Empower NJ. He's not convinced that an extra lane will ease traffic on the turnpike and says the state should have had more public input. What they're complaining about is that the congestion pricing plan will result in more vehicle miles traveled in New Jersey and thus have a serious and negative impact in, uh, 
environmental impact on New Jersey residents. Well, expanding the turnpike spur will do exactly those things. It's going to lead to more cars, more vehicle miles traveled. Before we increase uh, asthma rates and uh, COPD rates, we should be investing in transit. Despite Governor Murphy rejecting their budget yesterday, the Turnpike Authority is moving ahead with permitting. As the project gets closer to breaking ground, there will be more environmental impact statements coming out and likely more skepticism from people against widening highways. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Ted Goldberg. On Wall Street, stocks opened higher today as investors eyed a rebound. Here's how the markets closed for the week. Be sure to tune in this weekend to NJ Bisbee with Raven Santana. She looks at the health of the commercial real estate market as companies try to get workers back to the office. She also heads to Bell Works in Homedale to explore how the modern office is changing in New Jersey. Watch it Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. And before we leave you tonight, a reminder, early in-person voting starts tomorrow, Saturday, October 28th, at some 150 locations across the state. You can cast a ballot using a machine in any of the early polling sites between then and Sunday, November 5th. Each county has at least three locations, and the stakes are high. As we've been telling you, all 120 seats in the state legislature are up for grabs, plus a lot of local county and school board seats. Head to our website, njspotlightnews.org, and click on the NJ Decides 2023 tab for our NJ Voter Guide, with info on each legislative race, plus answers to any of your last-minute voting questions. That does it for us tonight, but don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great weekend. We'll see you right back here Monday night. The members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. And Orsted, committed to the creation of a new, long-term, sustainable, clean energy future for New Jersey. Our future relies on more than clean energy. Our future relies on empowered communities, the health and safety of our families and neighbors, of our schools and streets. The PSEG Foundation is committed to sustainability, equity, and economic empowerment. Investing in parks, helping towns go green, supporting civic centers, scholarships, and workforce development that strengthen our community.